John 10, 14. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. This is the Word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Excuse me. As we begin our reflection on where we've been so far, a brief summary for us all that the black box that I have here is all the thoughts and memories and what makes us us. When we think about something, it comes, this is our brain, our mind, our emotions, our experiences, and all, all these different colored index cards, some pretty color, some not so pretty, some kind of plain, is what makes us us, our emotional experience, all those things. And God has come to show us that that mindset may not agree with His Word for our life or His plans. So He makes us uncomfortable. And when He makes us uncomfortable, that's like the Holy Spirit meddling in our lives and in what we believe. And when that happens, our complacency is challenged. What He does, first of all, is He begins to tell us that we fit His purposes for our life, not our own. He determines our value and significance, not us. A lot of people say, I'm no good, I'm not worthy. But God says, I'm the only one who can determine that. So each moment then is a moment God can do something great in your life and around you. And it can be miraculous even if nobody else notices because God's purpose is happening even if you're the only one who sees it. When that happens, your perspective begins to change because you begin to look for God and you're no longer living for yourself. And you'll not be content in a relationship with Jesus Christ until you surrender all. That you are all in for Jesus. When that happens, your priority is clear. And a priority, as we've said, is what matters to you first. Priority is what you actually do. What comes first and everything else comes at its mercy. So if something else comes in front of what you say is your priority, then that which you say is your priority is not. Once your priority is God and Christ, He begins to position you to places where you can succeed. And when you live for Christ, He puts you in a place where you can move with a bold and an inspired action. It means you're fully invested, regardless of the cost, the situation, or whatever pain might be involved. When that happens, you begin to see as He moves you through your life and positions you that His presence is with you. This serves as a continuous nudge by the Holy Spirit to tell us we're not alone. God is, as we say, Emmanuel, or the One who is with us. He goes before us. He goes behind us. Next to us with us, and on Calvary instead of us. That's His presence. 
And because of that presence of God with us, we can begin to focus on the things of God which are long-term and permanent. Jesus came to redeem us on Calvary by living a sinless life and being crucified. Hebrews chapter 10 tells us that He only had to do this one time. In the Old Testament, the priests made sacrifices daily for sin. But they never took away the sin. Hence the problem. Jesus, looking at the bigger picture, laid His life down to end the Old Testament insanity of doing the same thing over and over again and not getting rid of the problem of sin. Jesus Christ never provided us an Old Testament temporary solution. He offered us a New Testament permanent one called His body and His blood on Calvary. His resurrection is proof it worked. And because of that permanent solution, we now have the ability to move into the passion of what the Gospel compels us to do. Now, I want you to understand passion is not what we generally understand passion to be. And I'll go through what it is and is not this morning, but I want you to follow along so you know what I'm talking about. Passion comes from faith. True passion does. There's a difference between passion as we have been told it is and what true passion is. Faith creates passion. Passion does not create faith. Some people say, if you're talking about work, the best job is the kind you would do for free. It fits who you are. Being passionate about what you do and somehow or another getting paid for it. But that's different than true passion. When somebody loves their work, it's something they care about without having to work up the energy to go and like it. <laughs> that's different. According to the Bible, not, the Bible, excuse me, True passion is not only that, not the same as that, it's much different. For first of all, true passion has a different source than an external one. True passion does not have an external source. It has an internal source. Now you might say, well, didn't you just say faith creates passion and faith is a gift from God? Yes, but God doesn't leave your faith on the outside of you. It's born within you. We learn in Greek, the root word for passion means suffering. So if you think about passion and what we're trying to talk about with God and Christ as we talk about this word, pain and joy are parts of suffering. A lot of people say that suffering is only pain. But you cannot have suffering without joy. Because you can't suffer from a place of loss unless you once had the connection. You can't suffer if everything has always been that way. So there's pain and joy. There's a, a ebb and a flow to passion. Passion, not only does it mean suffering and pain and joy, but it kind of gives us the hint that maybe there's a deeper level of commitment than just, I'm passionate about something. True passion begins, true, when God shows up and becomes real to you. On fire, baby Christians are excited about what Jesus has done for them. It's the moment they begin to see that God is huge in what He can do because He's redeemed them from their sin and they're free. And they're passionate about being free. Because what God has done. 
But that's not the enduring passion. That is a passion about what God did. The passion I'm talking about and that we are looking at today is a passion about who He is, not what He does. If you're not passionate about Christ when He does nothing, but only when He does something, your passion is misplaced. Yes, when we're first born again, Christ is amazing. He's redeemed us. We're free. He's set us free some great burdens. But that's just the core of the beginning. Not the whole thing. Some people describe passion as somebody really into sports or their team. Some people are passionate about UK. Some people are impassionate about UK and more passionate about Louisville. And some people who are passionate about UK, when I said that, said, I can't believe you just swore in church. That word, that word, and you just shouldn't have said it. Or maybe you're passionate about the Carlisle Comets. Maybe. But the passion we're looking at is much more than being a fan or desiring a team to win something or for our children, our grandchildren, our families and friends to do well because this kind of passion fades after the last game is over. There's not people hooping and hollering today about a Super Bowl from February of last year. They were all about it a week or two ahead and then maybe the week after, but that's gone. That passion didn't last. Did it? No, it didn't. Time went by. Passion that is from God is eternal. Godly passion goes beyond having what the Webster Dictionary defines passion as. It says, Passion is a strong feeling of enthusiasm or excitement for something or about doing something. Passion is a feeling, according to the dictionary. But godly passion is a gift from God. The second definition in Webster's dictionary, believe it or not, says, passion refers to the sufferings of Jesus Christ. Did you know that? There are other definitions of it when a person is passionate about something or for someone or feels passion. But to have the second definition in Webster say that passion is the suffering of Christ on Calvary and for us should give us a hint that they know something about it. We cannot generate passion. It's not self-generated. It comes from an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit. And this tells you in that relationship who you belong to. It takes away what I like to call the need to know mentality. Anybody ever had that before? That you can't really get all into something unless you know all about it. Because it might not be the real deal. For many of us, this may not be a good illustration, but for me it is. 2015 was a good year to be a Cub fan for, for the first time in a long time. <laughs> and we thought maybe this year 
But in the back of a mind of someone who's waited their whole life, and plus someone who had to wait more than twice that long of my lifetime, 108 years so far, for the last time they won, to say, yeah, this is going to be it. <laughs> There's always this skeptic going, what if? Right? That's because a part of us, when we're passionate about something, we want to know what is really, really true, that it really matters, or I'm not going to do anything about it until I got all the X's crossed, or you know, the boxes checked with the X's, the dots on the I's and the T's crossed, and all my questions answered before I'll fully invest in it. This is not passion. This is logical decision making on an uncalculated safe risk. Or maybe even a calculated safe risk. You see, passion is in contrast with understanding. When you believe in God that He exists, you can't explain that. When you tell people that you love Jesus and you really want to know Him closer, and people say, well, how do you even know you know who He is? You can't explain that. It's not something that makes sense to someone who doesn't know who He is. But if you're talking to a fellow believer, <laughs> doesn't the conversation change? And all of a sudden, you feel the presence of Christ right there. As you talk about Jesus and love and faith and hope, and all of a sudden, something starts stirring. <laughs> Both of you get a little excited. And it's not because y'all are just sitting there talking about somebody that may or may not be real. You're talking about something because you know it's true. And that passion of the Holy Spirit begins to stir up and it embraces you and causes you to want to move, to do something, to talk about it. It inspires. A lot of folks want to understand that they, and know something and before they'll ever act wholeheartedly. And, and that was me for a long time. The disciples were the same way. In John 14, they're having a conversation. Uh, Jesus is, had just told them, let not your hearts be troubled. And in verse 7, in John 14, says, this is Jesus speaking, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also, and from now on, you know him, and you've seen him. And listen to what Philip says in verse 8. Lord, show us the Father and it is sufficient for us. In other words, show us the Father and that's enough. Just show us so we can see Him and understand so we can believe like you believe. And Jesus is a little exasperated and says, have I been with you so long, Philip, and you still have to ask me to show you the Father? It's because there's no passion. The Holy Spirit hasn't been ingrained into Philip yet. Or any of the other disciples, they don't get it. You can't get it without the revelation of the Holy Spirit. Later, same night, same room, same conversation, John 16. Jesus gets a little more specific. He says in John 16, verse 27. The Father Himself loves you because you've loved Me and have believed that I came forth from God. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. Now listen to what the disciples said. This disciple said to Him, See, 
Now you're speaking plainly and using no parable or figure of speech. Now we are sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you came forth from God. We now know because we no longer have to ask questions to quell our doubts. You are who you say you are. We believe it because you said it plainly. Yet, Jesus says in the very next verse, do you really believe? And why are all of you who think I am God and from God going to leave me in my crucifixion? You're all going to scatter. They think they know. But your knowledge has ability to change. Your file box written on here as I took one of the cards out this morning. I wrote knowledge on there. Knowledge changes. The world is flat, they said. This is knowledge. We believe it because that's what we've been told. Jesus told them and they believed it so they knew it. But knowing it and passionate about it are not the same thing. The Holy Spirit ingrains a deeper truth that knowledge can't touch and knowledge can't change because it's not logical. It doesn't make sense to a non-believer. Paul once said it this way, and I love this passage, I believe it's in Corinthians, he says that to the carnal, they can't understand spiritual (laughs) because it's all logical to them. There's no Holy Spirit movement that brings forth conviction, judgment, promise, and peace and joy. So that knowledge is what comes up against the face of God and Jesus Christ in tough situations, right? Maybe you are facing this this week and this morning a difficult decision or a difficult situation. And you're not sure what to do. And so you're asking God, God, what are you going to do? I need to know what to do. God, you've got to tell me. If you don't tell me, I'm not going to know what to do. And Jesus keeps only answering, follow me, follow me, follow me. And we go, I am following you, but you tell me what to do. You're not going anywhere, tell me. Because we want to take the action ourselves based on what we know. Hear this, very important. Based on what we know to be true, not who we know is the truth. The one thing Jesus says every time when someone's seeking hope, peace, and joy, He says, follow Me. No, you don't understand, Jesus. I want you to give me hope. (laughs) I want you to give me some joy. I want you to give me restoration and healing, God. Just give me these things. He said, you don't understand. You get Me, you get all that. Without Me, you don't get any of it. Follow Me. That stuff comes with Me. I'm not separate from who I am. (laughs) Do you get that? God is not different than Himself. He is who He is, and who He is is Jehovah Rapha, which is God the Healer, Jehovah Jireh, God the Provider, and Jehovah the God who will provide. He is all those things. He is Healer. God, give me healing. We think healing and God are two different things that God can just pull off some healing off Himself and throw it on you. He is the healer. He's coming to do the work. Not some pill. Him. He is the healer. And we miss that because we want to think that, well, all i got to do is pop two and I'll be better in the morning. 
It's not like that. God says, I will fill you and restore your land and heal your family. I, says the Lord, will do this. That knowledge doesn't make sense. But God says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments and follow me wherever I go without question. And you'll do it from passion. And you'll cross off the old mindsets that say, I gotta know, God. I gotta know. And God's gonna say, Yeah, know me with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. Passionately love me. It's all you gotta do, and then you'll know. All you need to know. You'll have no more questions for God when you know who He is and His power toward you. As we've been talking about in that Ephesians chapter 1 verse the last few weeks. The truth showed the disciples when they said, now we know who you are, who you say you are, that we do not have to have a deep relationship to be passionate about it. We just have to be in relationship with it. Jesus had passion. Even Webster's Dictionary agrees. But that's not the same as a compassion or a desire. This is a deep drive within Him to love beyond all cost or consequence. Now, now hear, hear this. Scripture tells us God is love. Jesus is God. Therefore, easy to understand, Jesus loves. He is the embodiment fleshly of love. So since that's the case, He's going to love regardless of situation or circumstance. Think about it this way. He confronted people that made Him nervous. (laughs) Because love compelled Him. He went to the cross because love compelled Him. When love compels you, you will not have to convince yourself to keep going. You won't have to remind yourself, hey, I'm all in for Jesus, I've got to keep doing this. You just simply are. No question in your mind. The decision and internal change in you has happened, you've become passionate with God's passion for Christ. Catch that. God gives you love for His Son in you. When that Holy Spirit comes, you love the things God loves. And that's His Son. It's the deepest love you can have. God loved His Son so much. Very pleased with Him. And He loved us so much that He gave us His Son. This passion from God in us is not a continuous choice that you and I make. There's always something, though, that we need to keep in mind. True godly passion, hear this if nothing else, true godly passion will always be contested by somebody. It will be challenged and questioned, sometimes by yourself and other people. But if it's a true godly passion, those questions will come. Satan took Jesus, the Son of God, and questioned his passion for his Father and what his Father's Word said. And every time, the passion of Jesus Christ that loved the Word of God, loved Scripture, loved it, said, it is written. 
I love this word. It's my life. And this is what it says. And I'm going to do it. And I'm going to speak it regardless of how I feel. And how much you may promise me in its face, you may challenge me on every front. But I'm coming back with the Word of God which is buried in my heart. And I survive on it. And I digest it. And live by it. This is what He told the devil. I think it would work for you and me too. (laughs) To retain the Word. Or says the psalmist, hide it in our hearts. Jesus was passionate about being the good shepherd. The whole John chapter 10 just about it, he talks about it. And the opening passage we began with said, he would willingly lay his life down. Now you and I, when we read that, we know what he's going to do. What that means. Don't we? Beaten after a trial, a mock trial. Then Calvary. (coughs) Dropping the cross three times along the way. We knew that He would have a crown of thorns put on His head. A spear thrust in His side. We knew they would mock Him and spit on Him. We knew that when He laid His life down, that's what He was choosing. We knew that He was going to bleed out and die. We know this, don't we? And then to be laid in a tomb and dead. Laid down His life dead three days. It happened. And we know also on that great and glorious third day that He would be risen up for us. But i got to tell you something. I don't think Jesus was excited about the prospect of any of it. I don't think He's going, oh good, I get to be beaten within an inch of my life with a cat of nine tails so I'm unrecognized. Well, this is going to be good. I'm looking forward to this. I don't think so. Right before it happened, the Garden of Gethsemane, He said, Father, if it's possible, take this cup of suffering. Take my passion away that I don't have to love like this. But I'm gonna because it's Your will, not mine. And I know that something bad's going to happen. I don't know it all. And I don't like it. But I'm laying it down to be obedient. Jesus chose to lay His life down. And when we begin to follow Him, we choose the same. We also have the same result. We don't know what that death is going to look like. Or what that laying it down is going to turn out to be. This goes beyond knowledge. It requires true passion of God to go through when things don't look so good. What Jesus' death would look like and the suffering was entirely out of His hands. Now let me ask you this. Do you think it possible that maybe mortal man had no authority to harm or touch Jesus? Do you think it possible that the Creator of the universe being subjected to Roman centurion soldiers, beaten, spit on, mocked, all those things, do you think that they could do that unless the Father in heaven let them? No. Not unless the Father let them. 
And Jesus said, it's not my will, it's your will. So this is the Father's will for His Son. That He would be beaten, crucified, and lay dead. But His Son had to buy in at the same level. Or He couldn't go through with it. Because it doesn't sound like a good idea when that first whip hits. It doesn't sound like a good idea when that nail's driven through your hands and your feet. It doesn't seem like this makes sense at all. God, do it another way. This hurts. But the passion says I must go on regardless of what I think or what I'm feeling. Here's what happened for me and still happening inside of me when I saw that my passion could change the workplace where I'm at and the mentality there by simply doing my job better, by increasing my enthusiasm for being there, and by creating new ways of exceeding expectations, I saw value in doing it. And I didn't have to know how to do those things right away. I just had to trust that God wanted me to. That that was His purpose, was to shine His light in excellent ways. I just had to embrace that I'm in here regardless. And God's going to use me. A lot of us need that mentality. I'm here regardless and I know God's going to use me. And I'm not giving up, quitting up, letting up, or backing down until I'm prayed up, saved up, and stored up in eternity. I had to pay a price to change because I was doing things my way. I had to lay my will down for the will of my Heavenly Father. I chose to bring Him glory regardless of my circumstance. And I had to ask Him to help me. Just as Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, not my will but Yours, help me. Help me bear this cup. Help me bear this cup of passion. Suffering. For the pain and the joy that would be complete through it. Just as Jesus, I also needed my Father to guide me to the fulfilling, the fulfillment of what He wanted in me. The purpose that He laid out for my life. You and I have to die to our selfish purposes and live for His purposes in us. We have to. That you don't know what they are is irrelevant. You don't have to know. You just have to be passionate that God's got them. That's all you got to do. What matters is you'll follow His lead and trust that He knows what He wants for you. Trust it with all you are. Jesus did that. How can we be any better than Him and say we don't have to? You know what I mean? So with passion, we're not talking about excitement. We're talking about something that drives us closer to the heart of God because the heart of God has been put in us. That our thinking changes. I want to share this with you and it really stuns me even even now. Over the last week, I've been thinking about passion. Thinking about how is 2016 going to possibly be any better than 2015 because it was an amazing year. How could it be? 
What could be different? What could be better? And then this is my answer. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how it could be any better. Man, it's been an amazing year here at Melbourne United Methodist Church. Been incredible. Lots of lives brought to Christ. More folks saw healing and restoration. And I said, God, I don't know what it is, but I'm passionate about you. Got something bigger and better all the time. I just want to know you and see your power and glory and see what you can do. As we've been looking through Ephesians chapter 1, it says that Jesus Christ is seated at the heavenly places now on the right hand side of the Father. And he's seated there. And that passion that we have now, that same power is raising us up there. It's still active. The same power that rose him from the dead is active right here. And you say, what do you mean? Well, let me break it down real simple. Maybe you're hungry, but you're not full yet. Maybe you want more of the fire of the Holy Spirit in you because you just don't have enough of it. Or maybe you want that energy that comes from knowing that no matter what comes against you, you'll keep driving forward. That kind of desire. Only God can make that happen. And the only way I know of for Him to do that is for you to love Him with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength and begin to digest His Word and say one simple prayer. Lord, I want all of You. Help me get it. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, pour out Your glory here. The passion is alive in Christ. And is alive in this place now. Let your glory be seen. That passion birth in us that we would never say never, never lay down and quit because the gospel compels us forward because we love you, Lord. So help us to love you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, our neighbors, ourselves, and to see you in all your glory that we may be partakers in one with you. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.